But you notice that when Carrie paused while she's praying there, just that quiet. I was thinking, man, this is probably the quietest moment of all of our weeks. You know, the one time that everything will, will go still and, and you won't have chatter, or you won't have white noise, uh, you know, in any of those things. So I think the song we sang kind of gave, gives a footnote, a footprint rather, for where, where we're going to go, where we're going to be in, uh, in the scriptures this morning. That thing, I am changed and changing still. I was thinking, man, how many, how many of the people around me or around you are so glad to hear that? You know, if you're married, man, how happy is your wife or your husband to hear that you are still changing? You know, or, or if you're, you're those friends who are around you, or the people you work with, they love you, but man, is it good news to hear you're still changing? And that's where, that's kind of where we are in the scripture in, the, in the, this morning. Let me see if I can get this to, there we go. What if, what if I told you that at the end of this message, you would never do anything wrong again? <laughs> really, that would be, that'd be awesome, you know? I might, might be able to write a book about that. I might be on the, the circuit. What if you never sinned again at the end of this message? Think about that. I want you to, I want you to turn, because that's what the Apostle John is kind of telling the people he's writing his letter to. If you, in your device or in your Bible, if you want to turn to 1 John chapter 2, we're in these opening verses, and that's what he, he comes straight out and says. It's, I mean, that's been kind of gripped me because I thought when I realized that's what he's saying and I thought this is how it would sound if I said that, if I got up and said, listen, I want to tell you something and at the end of this, I don't want you to ever sin anymore. That would be, you know, either super presumptuous on my side or I'd have this super truth on the other side. And that's what John, that's what John is going to say to these believers. We're, in, we're going through this letter we're going through First John, and we're looking at it as keeping it real. John's writing near the end of the, of the New Testament time. He's writing near the end of the first century. He's, one of the, he's the last disciple living, uh, we believe. And so I, I think he's protecting this faith that his friend, that his Savior Jesus, has given to him. Because now there's all kinds of counterfeits going through and people saying things. And so through this letter, First John, first of three letters that he writes, He's keeping it real. That's kind of how we're looking at it. Because all through, we're going to see today, he's gonna, people are going to say, well, if you say this, but this is the reality. So he's, he's trying to peel off everything that's not genuine to us. So he says in, in chapter 2, I want to read the first six verses. My little children, which is it's really interesting to me, because John and his brother, remember when they came to Jesus and they said one time, hey, we went to this town and they weren't interested. So do you want us to call down fire on them? Just that kind of gave you a sense of John's approach to life, you know, and how he was. That, oh, you don't want me? Well, I have a friend that can do bad things to you. Jesus, can you come here a minute? Or even in my quiet time, my own Bible reading this morning, I'm reading through the plagues of Egypt. And I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it have been nice sometime in some arguments in my life to say, locusts, bring on the locusts, or bring on the hail, or where that is. All of that to give you a sense of, you know, the Peter you meet in the gospel, He's very different from the Peter you meet in the letters. And the John you meet in the Gospels, he's very different from the John you meet in the letter. So here's the, here's the tenderness to him. He's writing pretty straightforwardly. We're going to see some pretty harsh things he says. But he's couched in that thing, that sense that gives you a sense, I really care about you. You know, my little children, listen to me. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's his what if. You know, I'm writing this letter to you so that you'll stop sinning, so you won't do this. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So John, you get a sense of, of where, he's going, where he's going in this. He's giving them this what if. And he's, he's writing about one goal that you might not sin that has two possibilities. You know, that 
that we, we're going to or that we're going to move away from, move away from sinning. There's some denominations that teach you can get to a point of sinless perfection, that you can, you can become so spiritual that it's impossible for you to sin anymore. Uh, I don't believe that. I don't think that's scriptural. I think even Paul, the end of his life, says, I'm the chief of sinners. It almost seems like the further you get into this thing, the more you understand just how holy God is and just how messed up you still are in the midst of that. So I don't think you get to sinless perfection, but John's got this goal that he puts out in front of us. Here's the goal, and it's got the two, poss- the two possibilities that are there. His, his one possibility is, is this, that, that if anyone does sin, hey, I'm writing so you don't sin, but if anyone does sin, you know, and I know in the room, we probably have a few of us that do sin. Don't, aren't you glad that phrase is there? I don't want you to sin anymore. But if anyone does, if you've come through chapter one and, and you've been forgiven and, and now you have freedom from, the, from having to sin, you don't have to anymore. We just keep falling into patterns or making dumb choices or being set up in temptation, whatever that is. But you come through chapter one and, and, and you're forgiven now. It's interesting, in chapter 1, there's that phrase, there's a verse that so many of us love. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember we said chapter 1, though, was about coming to Jesus. It, it was a salvation chapter. Because it's really interesting, that first part is ongoing, present tense. If we are confessing our sins, you know, you do something wrong, and the best thing to do is just to admit it in any relationship, your relationship with Jesus, your relationship at home, wherever that is, just to admit it. But if we do that, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse. Those are past tense. It's almost like John is saying, if you just keep admitting to God God what you've done, when you do it, he's already forgiven you and cleansed you for it. That's why a lot of times when when I'm talking with people and we're walking through things that people just can't get past, the guilt of or whatever, I don't let them pray, please forgive me anymore. We pray, thank you for forgiving me because it's already settled. It's already been done. It's already for you. And so here you are. You're out of chapter one. You're into chapter two. Now you belong to him. You've got a new nature. You've got a new goal. And so he puts this goal before you. Don't sin. But if anyone does sin, you, you fell into it again, you you know, you promised yourself you wouldn't do this again, or maybe you got blindsided, because sometimes we're just blindsided by something that takes us by surprise. We react. Suddenly, we weren't expecting that, and you, you do the wrong thing. You say the wrong thing, or you don't do it. You don't show up when you should have shown up, or, or, or there are times that, you know, you weren't expecting it, or in light, or uh, there's times that you were aware, you knew what's happening, but you just... You just went with it. Just whatever, your selfishness or your fear, your pride, whatever it is, just took over and, and you sinned again. And here's, here's your verse. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So, so here's, what, here's what John is doing here. He's talking about this sin moment that we all have. And, and I said he, that he's giving us these two, I don't know if I'm disconnected, Grant, but it's not letting me uh, connect, con- uh, Move it through the iPad. Yep, there we go. Thanks. You've got these two opportunities. Yes, you're going to sin, or let me see if, it's, if I can control it from here. Or no, you're not going to sin. Yes or no. One goal, two possibilities. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You, an advocate we think of, you've got a patient advocate. If you're in the hospital or if you're a family member in the hospital, if you go to court, you've got an advocate who goes for you. In those days, it was somebody that you would call to come give you some help, whatever you needed. If, if you get something broken at home, you got a water issue, you call a plumber friend. You got an electrical issue, you call an electrician friend. You have a legal issue, you call an advocate friend. And so that's what John says. If we sin, we've got an advocate who shows up to help us. And I love what one commentary says. He doesn't show up to tell people you're innocent. He shows up to affirm, yeah, he's guilty. This is what he does. He sins. Can you imagine that if you're in court, your lawyer shows up, you know, whatever it is for, whatever you charge, you're speeding or whatever you've done. You know, your lawyer stands up and says, yeah, we just want to admit, this guy is so guilty. And there you are and say, could I talk to you for a minute? You know, I just, no, don't do that. But if you've made it through chapter one, 
it doesn't matter if he says you're guilty because he's saying, he, he's, he's saying that I'm the advocate. It's Jesus Christ. John tells you that not only is it Jesus, but that he's the righteous one. That the judge in this moment can't find anything with Jesus, anything on him to say, well, you have no right to say this. You have no right to represent him. You have no right to do this because John tells you that he's the propitiation for us. The propitiation is just this theological word that means Jesus has satisfied the wrath of God. He satisfied the justice of God. That whatever it is you've done, that God would say, well, here's the penalty for that. Jesus is, he's taken on that penalty. You know, he's not someone that, if you're in court with a lawyer or with a friend and the judge says, well, your fine is $2,000 and your friends can only come up with 1000 He's the one who shows up and says, he is so guilty, but I've already paid for this. That's why Jesus can show up. That's why that guilt that you feel or that we all feel when we do things that are wrong and sometimes we try to just suppress the guilt and other times we step into it depending on how we're wired or what, what the impact of that was. That's why it's good for us to know, yeah, just to step in with, with God and be able to say, I am so guilty. I'm, I'm so wrong in this. Thank you so much that this is covered. It is covered. You know, in heaven, there's no, there's no image of Jesus looking for a little bit extra to help cover what you've just done. It's all, he, he is the propitiation. He's righteous, so that he has nothing, nothing needs to be paid for. Remember he says the night before he died, he talked about the, the uh, evil one. He said, and he has nothing on me. There's nothing in him because of his righteous life that the devil can claim. There's a ton of stuff in my life and yours that he can latch on to, except that Jesus, the propitiation, has already taken care of it. So as he's saying, hey, I don't want you to sin, but if you do sin, we have someone that's already paid for it all. So you don't have to live in that. You don't have to live in the guilt of that, or you don't have to live trying to make up for it. You just have to live moving forward. And if you're moving forward, I'm writing to you so that you do not sin. I think as, as followers of Jesus, a lot of times we spend way too much time on this side of this flowchart that, boy, God, I've sinned. I'm so thankful that I'm forgiven. I'm so thankful that Jesus has covered that. We become way too familiar with that side where what John is doing in this passage, he's trying to move us over to get familiar with this side of it, of, of saying no and of living in victory and living in obedience. That's where he's trying to, to move all of us because sin has been left in chapter one. We're, we're forgiven. We don't, have to do, we don't have to do this anymore. So he, he picks those of us up. He wants to get to his point of, I don't want you to sin, but he wants to close the door on, on it for those of us that will live in guilt or regret or frustration or just give up because we still do. So he wants to meet us there. And don't you love the fact that he, he says, I'm writing to you so you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, because those of you that especially struggle with guilt or regret or with you know, a sense of hopelessness, you're gonna, you could read this verse and think, I know that's true for others. It's just not true for me. And so God puts the word anyone in here to meet you, to meet you. And then he says this thing at the end, you know, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, not only Christians, not only believers, but for the sins of the whole world. So he starts with anyone and he ends with the whole world. So for those of you, you know, in the room and those of you watching live stream, you just cannot get past the guilt or the, the shame or the regret. Here's your verse. You're part of anyone and you're part of this whole world that Jesus has died for and that he's, he's, he's made propitiation for. He's satisfied. Whatever judgment God has against you, he's satisfied. There's nothing left for you to do. You don't have to pray a hundred times like, like I have and like others have, a hundred times letting God know how sorry you are, letting him, asking him, please forgive you because he's already said he would and he's meeting, he's meeting you in this. So John is he's taking you from that point. In fact, I love the way, uh, the way one person put it. He said, no one is so great a sinner that Christ cannot save them. That's just good to know. Because I'll talk to people and they'll say, do you understand what I've done? No, I don't. I don't even know what you've done. I know in heaven they know the whole story and they still say you can be forgiven. You know, because there's no one, there's no one in there. So John puts this in here. If anyone does sin. So look at what, what, 
what uh, one person wrote about this. Hey, can you go to that next slide, Grant? To the, nope. I want to get out of that one and go to the next one altogether. Thanks. This is what Earl Palmer says. I appreciate how he writes. He said, the event for our atonement, you know, the cross is so important that nothing will be the same for us again. But I wish I knew that when I was new to all this, that nothing can be the same for us again, that you can be a totally different person because you get locked in on this is who I am, this is what I struggle with, this is, you know, this is how I've always been, all those things. But this thing that Jesus has done for us, it's, it's just too big for things to be the same again. So last year, I was at, at this conference and this guy spoke on 1 John 1 and he had a word for, the, for those of you that are, that are behind me, those of you in your 20s and 30s. Listen to what Crawford Loritz said. In your 20s and 30s, tear out every hidden compartment of sin in your life because when you're 40, you will run out of energy fighting it. Can I read that again? In your 20s or 30s, tear out every hidden compartment of sin in your life because when you're over 40, you will run out of energy fighting it. How many of you in the room, you know, and we're pretty open church, how many in your room would say 40, 50, 60, yeah, I was tired of fighting it, I was still fighting it, and I was tired, yeah, yeah. You just got to confront what that is and, and stop giving yourself a pass or stop blaming whoever it is you want to blame or stop saying that eventually you'll deal with it or that you've got it under control. You just got to rip it out. Because I've had so many conversations over years with people in their 40s and 50s and, and they're just tired. They're giving up on fighting this and just embracing it or their family's tired of them still in this place. That's why we're so glad to have road recovery in here because that's what's going on Thursday nights. People are trying to tear out of their lives this thing that's dominated them and, and we have so many younger people. It's just such a good thing for us to have. But here's the truth. Hey, but if you're in your 40s or 50s or 60s, it's not too late to tear it out. It's just you've paid the price. You've paid the price for carrying it, for carrying it. So words that we need to, we need to really receive today, just truth from other brothers. Here's John, don't sin, but if anyone does sin. So he, he's giving you that, that door. He's closing that door so that you don't think, okay, they're moving on without me. We're not moving on without you. The gospel never moves on without anyone. It offers this, this forgiveness and this new life to everyone. It, then it tries to move them on into new life and that's where we are because that's really john's point that if you knew jesus you know if you know him then there's just a change that goes on that goes on in your life if you know him so i want you to see here's our passage this is these are the verses that we read and here's this section that we just dealt with that if anyone does sin this this like aside that john does for what he wants to get to but this is really how he would like this to read I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. And by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. And by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what John would like to say. But he wanted to pick us all up you know, that if we sin, we know, okay, this is what you need to deal with. That's why I say he's got one goal, two possibilities. His goal is to get us into, the, into that place. And where's the key to it? The things that we know. With John, it's just so important to know Jesus and these things that we can know. That's why we started this series off at the last chapter. I've written these things so you can know you have eternal life, you can know your prayers are answered, you can know uh, all of these things that we can know for sure. And so for him, it comes, man, if you just knew Jesus like I knew Jesus, it would, it would be different. In fact, if you're, if you're with kids watching on live stream, hey, why don't you do me, do me something because we've wrestled with how do we engage kids. So I want you to read through 1 John, it's only five chapters, and count how many times John uses the word no. And then I want you to put that on the live stream or on our Facebook or email me and tell me which of those is your favorite verse. So if you're 12 or under, you can, you can do that. 
you can stop listening to me and do that. But <laughs> only if you're under 12 on the live stream. If you're in the room, at least pretend that you're listening to me. Yeah. So here's John. One goal, two possibilities. Here's where the key comes in in not sinning is if you just, if you just knew Jesus, this is his goal. He, he's, he's locking into that, the people that, that knew this. He wants us to move from this side so easily where, yeah, I sin, that's where I go, to over to here, I know Jesus, and he's doing something in me that's keeping me from acting the way that I've always acted with. Not getting to perfection, but seeing movement. Seeing movement. Because that's his key and allowing things to continue to happen in, in all of those things. So knowing him, that's what's tied to obedience. To John, it's just so simple. See how it is in verse 3? This we know, we've come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. It's just so simple to him. If you know Jesus, you are moving away from sin and you're keeping his commandments. You're doing the things that he said. That's what it was all about. You either know him or you don't know him. If you knew him, John might say to us, if you knew him like I knew him, if you knew who you were dealing with, if you know this is the Lord Jesus Christ, this is, this is not just some guy. We met him, we thought he was a good rabbi, we thought he was an interesting teacher, but as we went through our journey with him, we found out this guy can tell nature what to do. You know, I was, I was thinking of that this morning, just praying and looking at the forecast and the snow. And, you know, I was really interested. I was watching last night to see what the forecast was. And they said, the snow will start mid-morning. I thought, great, right around the time church starts. And, he, and then he says, so look for snow to begin at 7 in the morning. I thought, okay, for who is 7 mid-morning, you know? <laughs> so one in that. But then I just prayed, hey, God, you tell Job that you know where the snow is kept. And then you're, Lord Jesus, you're the one that got stood up in the boat and told the wind and the storm just to stop. So you can hold off this snowstorm. You can do that. You know, I just want you to know I still believe you can do that. So if you knew this Jesus, John would say to us, if you knew him, if you knew what he could do, if you knew that he could stop nature, then you'd know what he could do in you. If you knew who you were dealing with, if you knew who you're dealing with and he commanded you to do something, there wouldn't be any wiggling on your side because you understood who he was. If you understood that he's holy, you know, righteous, that he's never done anything wrong, but then holy, that he's the essence of everything that's pure and, and right and true, if you understood that's who's commanding you these commands, then of course you would do what he said. If you understood who it was that, that is making these commands, if you understood what he was, that he's the propitiation for our sins. If you understood that he's the one that's had to pay for everything we've done, then you, you wouldn't run so easily to keep doing those things. If you understood how expensive it was, you wouldn't keep doing this. John just understands. This is what I'm talking about when I say if you just knew him or if you knew what he was. Remember he said in, in chapter 1 what he's writing, he says, we've seen and we've heard and the, you know, we've handled them concerning, and he says, the word of life. And then I always love that, that moment in John 6. People are leaving Jesus. He says, are you guys going to leave? They say, where else are we going to go? Only you have the words of life. If you understood who Jesus was, if you knew that only he had the words that would set your life, uh, you know, afire. If he knew he has the words and he has the way to set you free, of course you'd do what he said. I mean, that's how simple it is to John. If you knew who he was, then, then you would do what he said. It would, you would obey him. See, that's a different obey than this weight of here's all these commands I got to keep, which is kind of where the Old Testament law ended up. Here's all these things we got to do if we're going to please God. We keep breaking the law. It's this weight that we're trying to do, but not to John. To John, here's this guy who knew everything about us. He knew how life worked. He knew how we could connect to God, and he told us how to get there. And if we just do those things, we're going to have this life. That's what obedience is to John. It's not a weight. It's just this, this freedom. And so that's why when you get to obedience in John, knowing Jesus, it's a faith-based obedience. It's this faith that you have the words of life, you understand life, you understand me, you understand my situation. You, your word is timeless, so it didn't work back in the, you know, when you were alive, Jesus, or it didn't just work in the Middle Ages. It's timeless. So, so your stuff works all the time. And so by faith, I'm going to do what you tell me. 
There are times you, you'll find something in the Bible and you think, man, I never saw that. I wish I'd have seen that when I was, you know, a month ago or when I was younger. I wish I would have seen that. It makes so much sense. And then there's times you th- see things in the Word and they don't make sense. So by faith, you do them. You know, when Jesus says, you know, hey, you need to die to yourself, that doesn't make sense. If it says, if you humble yourself, you'll be lifted up. That doesn't make sense. It doesn't commute the way we need to. It says if you pour yourself out, then he will fill you up. Even in places where the scripture doesn't seem to make sense for your situation, we just keep going with what the scriptures say because that's a faith-based obedience. We just believe that on the other side of this is this life that you've promised to me, Lord Jesus, because you said you've not only come to give me life, but you come to give me life to the full. That's what he said in John 10. So this is a faith-based obedience. That gets really tricky in relationships because in relationships, we want to assess things by what, how we think this would work or what I think of you or what I think you deserve or what I think I deserve. And Scripture calls me to be a servant. It calls me to bear no record of wrongs. That's what love is, to always hope, always, you know, always keep showing up in those things. So it's this faith-based obedience, faith in chapter 1 that I'm forgiven Faith in chapter 2 that I don't have to act like this anymore. That's where John goes with the whole knowledge of him. Look what he says in John 14, 24. This is Jesus the night before he dies. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. The words you hear, they're not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Just this sense in John that, that if you know me, if you love me, if we have this relationship, you're just going to do what I say. You know, hopefully, hopefully your children are in that thing. Okay, I love you, so I'm going to do what you say. Hopefully, you're in that relationship with your kids. Hey, I love you, and that's why I'm making you do this. I'm not just being frustrated. I'm not trying to try things out. I think I've said before that when we were first early on in our marriage, I wanted to see if Cindy really respected me. You know, the Bible says submit, and I had a twisted idea of submission at that time. So I told her to do something I really didn't want her to do. I really didn't think it was the right thing to do. I just wanted to see if she would do it because I, the husband, said so. So I'm not going to give you the rest of the story just to tell you that I've learned that that's twisted (laughs) since then. Yeah, yeah. It's just understanding that, okay, here is the God who loved me so much he gave up his son for me. Here is the God who created me, who's fearfully, wonderfully made me. Here's the God who's shown up in all of my life crises can I not believe him to be commanding me to do something that's going to lead to life? Because when I disobey him, I'm pretty much saying, I just don't trust you. I don't trust that you really know the way here or or do the right thing. Or I don't trust you're going to show up and make me strong enough or wise enough to do what I need to do in this moment. That's why for John, it's just, it's faith-based. Hey, if you say you know him, then of course you're going to do this if you're knowing him. And then he, he goes on and he says, knowing Jesus, it's a love-based obedience because when he says, uh, when he keeps going and he says in verse 5, um, where's my verse 5? But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God is perfected. That's not God's love for you. That comes later in First John. This is your love for God. That as you obey him, as you hear what he has to say, and then as you, as you do that, you're just showing how much you love him. As you serve him, as you prioritize him, that's showing him how significant he is in your life. It's just showing, showing your love for him. So it becomes a, a love-based uh, obedience. Hey, there are things early in our relationship that I learned that Cindy did not like. And so I just stopped doing them. Like I used to, I used to you know, just subconsciously, you're not thinking of things, you, you're thinking, but at the same time, I used to whistle all the time. Whistle, you know, you whistle in the house because I was thinking about things. And then she said, just that. She found that to be really annoying. It's kind of piercing. And so, you know, I love her. I don't want her to live in that. You know, if we're in the car, again, I'm just thinking of something. I'm whistling in the car. And she just, she just talked to me really kindly. It's not like, you know, what's the matter with you or whatever. Probably about the 10th time I did it, she might have had that kind of a tone. I got to say, there's such a freedom these weeks while she's watching on live stream and not in the room. I can say, you know, because so, you, can't, you can't fact check this during lunch like usual. It's going to be fact checked when I get home. Don't let me tell you. Yeah. No. So she, we just had this whistling thing. 
So I just stopped doing that. Why is that? Because I love her. Why would I want to annoy her? Was it whistling such a big deal? What's really interesting, about 10 years ago, I was driving with someone, and they started whistling in the car. She's right. That is wicked annoying. Somebody <laughs> does that. So, yeah, they're just things you find out. If you love someone, yeah, I think, yeah, right. Only in this church, yeah. yeah. There are things that you find, as you fall in love with somebody, you do, you stop, you, you stop doing the things that hinder them, hurt them, annoy them, that just get in the way between you two. That's love-based obedience. That's what, that's what drives biblical Christianity. You know, so, many, so many followers of Jesus grew up in churches that did not have love-based obedience. You know, they had fear-based obedience. They had obedience that was just this, this boatload or this armload of rules. And that's tiring. And, and that's why I think we've lost so many of the younger generation of Jesus followers because you just give up because you can never keep all of these rules. You can't do it. And so why try? I mean, that's why sometimes in, in, as we parent our kids, we've got to be careful because we don't want to overwhelm them with what they do or what they do wrong or whatever. Who wants to be in a relationship like that? Some marriages are like that. I am never going to please you because you've got all these things that I need to do. This is just love-based obedience. I see what you've done for me. I see how smart you are and that you really care about me, and I see where you're trying to take my life, and so that's where I'm going. Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes, you know, I'm not sure why, but I'm going to keep moving because I know your heart for me. That's a love-based obedience. That's, that's how that works. That's where that goes. The things I do, I do in response. It's funny that John, John uses this word commandment all the way through the letter. He uses it more than anybody. In fact, all of the New Testament letters are going to use this word commandments 34 times. John uses it 16 in this one letter. It seems like commandment, that's like a personal thing to him. My friend, this is what my friend said we need to do, and so we need to do it. You know, this is how life works, and he understands life, so we've got to just do what he says. And if you say you're following him, but you're not doing anything he says, that just doesn't, that doesn't match up. And, and that's important to John. We, we were talking about that. Whoever says, you see in, in verse 4, and then in verse 6, whoever says, he's just, he's finding there's a lot of people that are talking but aren't living. And he just sees, boy, those things can't really be connected. And, and then he has this other thing that he tells us is that if you know Jesus, he changes you on the inside. So many people are trying to change just by, I'm doing this, this is what I stopped doing, this is what I am doing where the reality of Jesus is that he changes on the inside. And so it says in verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. You know, abide, that has a, that's a word of just a strong connection. All through John chapter 15, the night before Jesus dies, he talks about abiding. In fact, he says there, um, yeah, let me, I'm going to jump a verse and get there. Oops, pushing the wrong button. There we are. In John 15, he says, Remain in me. This is the word abide. Also, I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. This is this concept of abiding that John heard the night before Jesus was crucified. This is what he's picking up. This is what he's picking up here. Whoever says he abides in him, whoever says he's connected to Jesus, whoever says the life of Jesus is flowing in like a branch, you know, from a vine, whoever says that ought to be changed because that's what Jesus does. This is what Jesus said in John 14. We were there a minute ago. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. We got that. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. That's abiding. He will come and settle down in your life and begin to change you. We've got a, a booklet out on the information table. We encourage you to take called My Heart, Christ's Home. And this guy's just written his little booklet on what would it look like if Jesus moved into the house of your life and just went room to room and how would he find things? It would, it's a great read. So take, them, take one there. They're free. We will make our home with them and we'll become, you know, we'll become one with them. It's just this, 
this sense of changing you from the inside, that life-giving flow. You begin to think alike and you begin to live alike. So I get this illustration that, that kind of speaks to this. So a couple weeks ago, Cindy and I were somewhere and we wanted a snack or we wanted something. We were just shopping. So we got, we got our two... She got her favorite candy bar. I got a candy bar, I felt like, in the moment. But it's the pack, the long pack, you know, we got the too many candy bars in there. So we got those. So she brings it home. I bring mine to the office. She's got hers at home. So we're watching TV one night, and she's eating hers. And I'm looking at her, and she's got two. <laughs> I've got none. So, so I just said to her, hey, can I have the second one of yours? And I've, I've eaten the first one of mine at the office. But I got the second one there. So I said to her, if I can have the second one of yours, I'll, give you, I'll just bring home my second one so you can have it. Hey, my heart is pure. We're not into, oh, that's mine. That's yours. We don't, we, that game we got rid of long ago. If you're newly married, you need to get rid of that game because we all get stuck there. So she said, sure. So she gives me the other half of her Milky Way. It was great. So time goes on, and you know I've got the candy bar. I just keep forgetting to bring it home, honest. And so this week... This week, I was really hungry, mid-afternoon. And so I'm thinking, I got the candy bar. I think, wait a minute, that's Cindy's candy bar. And then it kicks in. You know, I thought, you know, it's a Snickers. She really doesn't like Snickers. I mean, so I could bring it home to her because, you know, I said I would, but she didn't really like it. So what I will do before the Lord, really, I'll stop on the way home and I'll just get her a Milky Way. And she'll be good. She'll, she'll want it. She doesn't really care that it's not the candy bar. She just knows I owe her. So that's right. My, before the Lord, I got to tell you, that's exactly what my plan was. So I'm eating the Snickers. And you know how Snickers got those little the pe- bits of peanuts in it? I get one caught in my throat. So I am coughing. I cannot stop coughing. And Alexis calls in from the other roof. Are you okay? So I said, yeah, I just got this peanut. I cannot get up. And I'm what am I, being punished for eating her candy bar? So, so I go out and I tell Alexis, they give her the backstory to this candy bar. I said, but don't worry, I'm going home. So I'm going to buy her a candy bar on the way home. Well, if you know me, I forgot. So, but that's okay because it's been like a week or so. So we're sitting. This really fits the message for those of you wondering. Oh, we're sitting on the couch that night, where I think, I don't know if it's Tuesday night, and we're watching TV, and I think to myself, oh, I forgot the candy bar. So at the commercial, I'm going to go buy it. Before the Lord, that's exactly what I thought and what I planned to do. Cindy says to me 10 seconds later, hey, do you still have that candy bar? <laughs> so I told her the story. And you know, Cindy, she's just incredibly gracious. You really are, honey. I love you so much. She said, you don't have to go get it. You don't have to go get it tonight. So I did get it. But you know, when we were newly married, someone gave us this book, A Severe Mercy. Has anybody ever heard of that book? It's by uh, Sheldon's, I think his name. It's about the story of his marriage. And he and his wife came to faith through the influence of C.S. Lewis. And Lewis talked about their marriage, how they were uncannily on the same page. Like he said, I remember in one place he writes, you know, that she looked at a light one time and then without knowing it, he went over and turned it on. And I remember reading that book and saying, God, I would love to have a marriage like that. Can I tell you, Cindy and I often, we talk about it a lot now, we'll be thinking the same thing. She'll think something, I'll do it. You know, candy bar or, or whatever that is. That's abiding. That's abiding. You know, we still, hey, those of you who know us know, we still have a very human marriage. But that's abiding. You've been together long enough, intentionally enough, eyes open enough with Jesus that you just know what he wants you to do in a moment. A lot of that is going to come from this key word of John. You know. You know what he says. You know what he's like. You know what he does. You know what he wants to do. And so what he wants you to do in a moment, that becomes pretty clear. And you become pretty confident that he can pull that off through you because he's living in there and he can do those things. So that's why knowing Jesus, it it begins to change you from the inside. You know what's really interesting about 1 John? 
John has no how-tos in this book. Like Paul will tell you in his letters, this is how you do this, this is how it works. John has none of those. Maybe one, if you want to go where he says, you don't need anyone to teach you because you have an anointing. That's how that works. But nowhere else, because to John, it's just so organic. Jesus lives inside of you. You're growing in your knowledge of him, so of course you're changing. That's how, that's how it works to him. And that's why to him that if you want to talk about you have a relationship with Jesus, but there's not much Jesus in your life, then you're lying because that's not what the real thing looks like. And so he's writing this whole thing. I'm writing so that you don't sin. Hey, there's a provision for us if we do sin, but you don't have to anymore. You know, you can, you can move forward and keep moving forward. This, this verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way he can walk. This is the original. If you're going to talk the talk, you need to walk the walk in John because if he's in there. So, so we started this whole thing. If I can go down. Hey, can you go, can you go to that what if slide, Grant? We started this whole thing on the what if. What if at the end of the message you never did anything wrong again? We know, hey, if we lived this thing exactly the way it's supposed to be lived, that's where we would end up. How do, how, do I get, how do I get there? You know, what do I need to know? You need to know Jesus in a very personal way. You know, what, do you, what needs to happen? You need to abide in him. You need to just lean into him. I think somebody said that the other night at recovery. I'm trying to lean into this or press into it. That's a great picture of, of what we're trying to do. What does Jesus have to say? Who is he? What is the hope he offers to my life? I'm leaning into that. That's what has to happen. What do I need to do? You just need to surrender to this. Just surrender to him as Lord and, and follow him. That's, that's what he wants us to know. John uses this word know because God wants us to know this. He wants us to know we don't have to live stuck. We don't have to live, you know, defined. We don't have to live in, in bondage. Any of these things that we hate about our lives, you don't have to live there. That's what God wants us to know. You don't have to live there. And we get there, as Olivia shared, just by surrendering ourselves and putting our trust in Jesus as our Savior and as our leader or by constantly checking to make sure that's the role he's got in our lives so that he, he just is able to come in and dwell and change us. And we find ourselves sinning less and less. We find ourselves more aware of it, but we find ourselves not being so foolish and not wasting so much of life or so many opportunities. That's where we are. That's where John is. And in his mind, that's, that's what keeps it real. Let me go to, yep, that's what keeps it real. Just living a real obedience. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have that kind of an offer for us. Thank you so much that, like we said at the beginning of service, you know, the very details of, of our lives, you know, our relationships, our situations, the pressures that we're under right now, things about our lives that we hope would never end, the things about our lives we wish were over yesterday, you know, all of those things. And you tell us, you know this way out. You tell us that we can change and that you can change us. I just want to speak hope over people that have, are having such a hard time receiving that today. Just maybe so stuck in the cycle of what their, what their lives have been about or they've been just so labeled or branded by other, what other people have spoken over them. I pray that your, your truth would just shatter that today and even it'd be such a sense of your heart for them to live a different life and of your ability to give them that life and lead them into it. So Lord, I pray that would happen. We hear you say that we may not sin and just before you, I want you to know that's our goal. We, we don't want to. We don't want to because we don't want to offend you. We don't want to because we understand sin always leads to frustration. We don't want to because we know it always hurts other people. So that's our intent. We don't want to. So help us, help us to grow in how we know you and how personally we know you, Lord. And in doing that, you'll show us this new life. In doing that, the people around us will see that something new is happening in us and it'll just bring more and more to you. So that's what we pray happens to your glory. Praying it and asking in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good. Hey, just before we sing, we're going to go ahead and have Max come up and just let you know what's coming up this week, and then we're going to sing a song that kind of walks us through the gospel.
Yeah, so just a couple quick reminders. Uh, we're going to be here this Saturday, 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. walking for the Springfield Rescue Mission. Uh, they're doing their coldest month, I guess, this year. Um, so you're just going to, they, they're encouraging you and challenging you to just keep track of all the miles that you walk, run, bike, exercise throughout this month. Um, and then you can just submit that to them at the end of the month. And they're just trying to do this to raise awareness and to raise money for the homeless people living in uh, Springfield. So if you want to join us on Saturday, we'll be here at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. Uh, soup will be served after both of those um, both of those times. And to answer a few questions that we got, yes, you can bring your dog. And please bring bags to clean up after your dog if you want to bring them. So uh, we're really, really excited for that. Uh, Hope for Kids is reaching out to some marginalized families in the area. They're building um, gift baskets to bring to kids and families on Valentine's Day. So if you want to participate in that, you can just go onto their website. They're building the baskets. You just tell them what to put in it, pay for it, uh, and then you can you can um, be a part of that in that way. We're also really excited that Young Adults is starting back up again. We were able to have some time just to plan out the next several months of what it's going to look like uh, after this crazy holiday season and COVID season and changing restrictions. Uh, we finally got some stuff set in stone. So our next meeting is going to be February 21st. It's going to be here in the church at 6.30. And then after that, we're going to be every third or first and third Sunday of each month. Um, so you can plan to do that. Um, it's kids right outside of high school, just after you graduate through your 20s. Uh, and we'd just really love for you to come and join us and uh, just grow in fellowship and grow in the Lord together. Uh, lastly, we just have a regular week, uh, midweek services. We have our youth group on Wednesday. Um, we're finishing up this Wednesday a series called Asking for a Friend, and it's questions that are just okay to ask in church, questions that, as a Christian, people think that you should know, but you might be afraid or embarrassed to ask because you don't really know it. Um, and this week, we're wrapping it up. Our question is, how can I know that my sins are forgiven? Uh, so we're going to be challenging kids to how they can know that their sins are forgiven and giving them an opportunity to have their sins forgiven um, by trusting in faith in Jesus Christ. So we're really excited for that. We also have our prayer service going on in here at the same time. And Thursdays, we have our road to recovery um, for those battling substance abuse. And I believe that's all we got. So enjoy. Lord, thank you so much for this teaching on keeping it real. And Lord, just um, how you call us to obedience and that's an obedience that is love-based and faith-based. And I have this, uh, this scripture to come into this song, Isaiah. Um, let's see if I can see this. Um, Isaiah 28, um, 16, 17. It says, Therefore the Lord God says this, Listen carefully. I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for the secure foundation firmly placed. He who believes, who trusts and relies on and adheres to that stone will not be disturbed or give away. Thank you, Lord, that the path that you've given us to follow rests on you. And because you are secure, because you are Above all things, you cannot be swayed. Therefore, we cannot be swayed. Father God, thank you so much for that, for giving us Jesus once again. And um, we just praise you. Sing this song. Yes, please stand. Sing with us.
He's Lord of all the situations. He's Lord of all of us. Here's this great verse that the little letter, one chapter letter of Jude ends with. Just this blessing he speaks over us seems appropriate today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What a great thing that he is able to keep you from sinning, to keep you from slipping up or from stumbling. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So you don't have to dread that moment. You can look forward to that moment. The only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So that's the truth we live in. Have a great week serving the Lord.